So we're in a series called Difficult Questions, and I think it's one of the few topical series I've ever done. Typically, we work kind of verse by verse through the Bible. I've done a few series here and there, but this is a series that we're in just to address, I'm calling them difficult questions. I'm realizing that some of them that we've went through have been controversial questions. Well, tonight, it's not so much controversial. It's just a dang difficult question, not because this is a divisive topic about do I need friends or not, simply because the difficultness of it is It's hard being a friend. It's hard having friends. It's difficult. And so the question tonight is, do I really need friends? Every time I'm in Hawaii, I ask that question when I'm not wanting to come home. Uh, Or are my friends worth the trouble? Because friends are trouble. Or what about broken relationships? What do we do with those? Or how can I know so many people and yet I still feel lonely? Or do I need to be friends with the people at my church? Or what about those who leave the church? Do I still have to be friends with them? I ask myself that question from time to time. I'll give you some statistics here to start, just so we lay a foundation. May 2021, so this is a really new survey. It came out, and it's what kind of drove me to preach on this, because I saw this, and it kind of blew my mind. It's comparing, it's pretty small, but from 1990 to 2021, it's comparing friendship, and it's just a survey, and it's, they learned that we talk to our friends less often today, talk to our friends less often, we rely less upon our friends today. This is compared to 1990 to 2021, so grunge to whatever era we're in today. Um, men, this is the one that, that really surprised me and made me kind of stop and process this, and I started asking all my friends this particular question when I would meet with them. It says, uh, men, in 1990, only 3% of men would say they didn't have a close friend. By 2021, 15% of us men say that we don't have a single close friend, not one. And women, you guys are declining as well, and you're declining in some of the more uh, interpersonal issues as well with friendships. There's been some other studies done that indicate that the vast majority of us Americans are lonely, even though some of us don't even acknowledge it or don't even recognize it. I I know more people than I can shake a stick at. How can I be lonely? And yet, most of us have very few people that we feel comfortable confiding in. We talked about science last week, so let's do some science. Medicine, psychology, social services, all of those studies of science are calling loneliness an epidemic. They say it could be the number one health crisis of our generation. In a book written by Dr. Ornish called Love and Survival, he's speaking about this intimacy with friends, and he says this. He says, I am not aware of any other factor in medicine, not diet, not smoking, not exercise, not stress, not genetics, not drugs, not surgery, that has a greater impact on the quality of our life, incidence of illness, or premature death than intimacy with friendship. Vivek Murthy, he was the former uh, Surgeon General, I think under Trump, he wrote for the Harvard Business Review this, he says, loneliness is associated with a greater risk of cardiovascular disease, dementia, depression, and anxiety. PLS Journal of Medicine, I did a study, a long-term study, on how loneliness uh, damages our body, and this is the conclusion they came to. They said it's about equivalent to smoking 15 cigarettes a day, equivalent to being an alcoholic, more harmful than not exercising. I don't go to the gym because I have friends. We can say that. (laughs) Twice as harmful as obesity. So how we answer this difficult question tonight 
is going to tell us more about our health in 20 years than just about anything else that we do in life. And one more survey, a lady, she was asking for a TED Talk preparation. She interviewed 6,000 people. And she said, how fulfilling are the friendships that you're in? And she said, just rank it from a 1 to 10. 1, not fulfilling at all. 10, it's a very fulfilling for friendship. 70% of the respondents scored their fulfillment of friendship below a 5, below the halfway point. And so we know more people than ever before, yet we have an overwhelming feeling of loneliness. We have friendship dissatisfaction, and because of that, it's damaging our mental, our physical, and even our societal health. And so I pulled a lot tonight, uh, and I'll quote him quite a bit and encourage you to read it. C.S. Lewis has a, uh, an essay called The Four Loves, and he basically talks about four different kinds of love, romantic, friendship, and so forth. So I'm pulling a bit from him tonight in, in some of the research, but he wrote this. He said, friendship is unnecessary. Like philosophy, like art, it has no survival value. Rather, it is one of those things which gives value to survival, enhances our quality of life. It makes life more worth living. And so we can really answer this question pretty easy tonight. Do I need friends? It's an easy answer based on what I just told you. Yes, you need friends. What do we do? We live in a consumeristic culture. We're consumers. If you thought about what that word means to be a consumer, it means you use something and then you dispose of it. That's what you do. You consume it and you dispose of it. And that consumer mentality that we have with stuff moves into all areas of lives, including our friendships. We use them while we find benefit, and when the benefit ends, we discard them and we buy another replaceable friend that will be discarded later. This is not a biblical view of friendship. And so tonight, we're going to be in the book of Proverbs. It's the book of wisdom. If you haven't ever read Proverbs, it's all these one and two sentence type, you know, advice for life type of things. And so it's a great book to read, 31 chapters. You can read it in a month and knock it out a chapter a day. But it's where we find, one of the places we find wisdom in the Bible. And if you read Proverbs, which I did this week, and you go in and you pull out every proverb that's in there about friendship, this is the conclusion that you'll come to. One, you can't be wise without friends. And number two, fools, which are the opposite of someone who is wise, perish for a lack of friends and or poorly chosen friends. That's what I love about the Bible. It's so timeless that this advice that we got that many years ago, 500 BC, is still so applicable to what scientists and psychologists are studying today. Now, I know what a lot of you are thinking because when I saw that post about the decline of friendship, I went and read the comments. You know the comments are always better than the original post, right? So I start, I start reading the comments, and, and what do you think the number one blame for our lack of friendships is? Social media, I mean, that's, that's the low-hanging fruit. Like, social media has destroyed all modern friendships, but it's not social media that has destroyed friendships because the writer of Proverbs is writing about friendship loss in 500 B.C. It's just that social media is the latest stimulator that hurts our relationships that actually date all the way back to Genesis 3. And so if you feel lonely, that loneliness you feel is your body's way of saying you need more deep connections. 
And so if you feel lonely, if you don't hear anything else tonight, there is no shame in feeling lonely. It's a beautiful message. It's a biblical message because it drives you into friendship. And so let's dig into some wisdom from the book of Proverbs tonight. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 17 says this, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for a time of adversity. Now, I don't know if you know or not, but that would be a controversial statement for 700 BC or whenever the book of Proverbs was written because Proverbs is written to a culture that places a much higher value on family than we do in our culture. And so right here, the writer is saying a friend can actually be better than a blood relative. How is a friend better than a brother? We pick it up from this verse. It says, a brother is there for a time of adversity. Well, your brother is there. Why is your brother there? Because they're related to you, because they have to be. That's what family does. It's a biological obligation, at least in that culture. But it says, a friend chooses to love without any predisposed genetic obligation. Proverbs 18.24 says, a man... And man and women is synonymous here. A man of many companions may come to ruin. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. That word sticks is actually the Hebrew word we usually see translated as cleave. Cleaves closer than a brother. And it's this idea of commitment. So in our, our species, we need romantic love, right, to procreate. That's how humans continue to go on. And we need family love. This is another kind of love. We need family love so that our children survive to be adults so that they can procreate. And we need neighborly love so that we don't kill each other so that our species continue to develop. Three kinds of love. But the love of a friend doesn't provide that same kind of level of productivity, if we're thinking as a consumer. Now the ancients thought that friendship was the happiest and most full human love. But us modern people, we mostly ignore it and it's our least certainly celebrated type of love. We often don't go around to our friends and say, oh, I love you so much, I love you too. We just don't celebrate love and friendship in that way. Now, romantic love, we do that, right? I love you, I love you. If you go to pop music, all the songs are pretty much about romantic love. I had to think really hard this week. You saw the cheesy one that I played, right? The song's about friendship. I mean, can anybody else think of a, a friendship song, pop song? You got a friend in me from Disney, Toy Story. All right, we got Disney people. What else? That's the first one on my list, too. That's the first one that everybody thinks of. Anybody else? Queen, Queen, you're my best friend. You know that one? Or the Beatles, with a little help from my friend Joe Cocker, does it better than the Beatles. I'm a huge Beatles fan, though. Anybody else? Oh, really inappropriate one. We won't say that one, Jordan. Anybody watch the Golden Girls? <laughs> Thank you for being a friend. I didn't watch it, okay? Just let's be honest. When you learn to play the piano, everybody's first song is Lean On Me. That's a, that's a friendship-type song. Here's one, if you want to be my lover, you got to get with my friends, yeah. Yeah, we, we don't have, that's all I could pull. That's all the friendship songs that I could pull up. Maybe Jordan's got one she can share with y'all later. <laughs> that song that played, the Stevie Wonder and Elton John and Deanne Warwick song, believe it or not, my wife, she sung that at our high school graduation. I know a lot of you are completely shocked. Her and three friends, I looked for a recording this week. I totally <laughs> would have played it for you. 
I did find a picture, but she was so small in the picture, maybe. But I do have proof that she sang that song at our high school. You know, that's what friends are for. I'll be there in good times. And that's, that's what we sang at our graduation. So few of us truly value that friendship love. And I think that's because so few of us have ever experienced true friendship love. And so let me repeat, 1824, it says, A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. We have a lot of companions. We've got coworkers and church members and social media followers, and we've got acquaintances in life. But how do we find a true friend, one who is closer than a brother? And I'll tell you, you don't need to just go out, for most of us, and find some more friends to solve the problem. The answer is developing better friendships, learning to nurture the friendships that you have, and knowing what toxic people that you need to let go of. Proverbs 27.9, I'm going to pull a lot from this one. It says, oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. So let's just take the first part of that. It says, oil and perfume make the heart glad. How many of you wake up every day and you're like, and you know what I need today? I need a few more Debbie Downers in my life. I need some more cranky friends. I need some more whiny friends. I need some more manipulative friends. I need more people in my life who make me feel like nothing I ever do is good enough. We don't say that. And so let me just start with a very foundational premise here from this Proverbs that friendships should be positive. Joy, smiles, kindness, acts of service, empathy, validation, gratitude, affirmation. That's not to say we have to be fake or Pollyanna all the time in our relationships. In fact, just the opposite. We're going to get to that. But psychologists say that a healthy friendship, there should be five positive interactions for every one negative interaction. In other words, you should deposit five positive things for every one venting or complaining you do. For every oil or perfume, there should be five of those for every pint of vinegar that you dump on the friendship. And so if you plan to bring to a relationship everything that is negative, you'll find that you won't keep very many friends. If your friends spend the first hour when you get together with them having to cheer you up, not once, but every single time you get together, don't be surprised if they tell you, I've changed the lock on my door and now I can't get out because they don't want to come see you. Proverbs 27.9, oil and perfume makes the heart glad. So number one, we need positivity. Then it says, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. They got friends back there. (laughs) In the Old Testament, the word for sweetness always actually had to do with honey. It was kind of around this word honey. And so today, you know, in our civilization, we can make pretty much any food sweet. You know, dump sugar on top of pizza and pineapple. Now you've got sweet pizza or whatever. 3,000 years ago, you couldn't just make stuff sweet. There was no sugars or high fructose corn syrup invented yet. And so to find something sweet to eat, the sweet had to be discovered and it had to be naturally sweet. And so in this proverb, it says the sweetness then of a friendship must be discovered, not artificially created. Again, I'm going to reference C.S. Lewis from The Four Loves. He says, friendship arises when two or more of the companions in a group discover that they have in common some insight or interest or even taste which the others do not share and which, till that moment, each believed to be his own unique treasure or burden. The typical expression of opening a friendship would be something like, what? 
you too, I thought I was the only one. Essentially, what he's saying is, you know, we make friends, it's based on these common interests. So it could be sports. <coughs> Excuse me. You know, they're Ohio State fans, and you're an Ohio State fan, yeah. Or, or it could be politics, or it could be, you know, workplace. It's just easy to make friends because you're like, oh, you too, you work here too, maybe we should be friends. Or maybe it's love of fishing, or maybe it's appreciation of the Comic Sans font, or, or whatever, if you know, you know. I actually Googled it this week. I'm like, I know Facebook's got these friend groups, you know, like we have a group or whatever. I'm like, what are some of the, the really out there friend niche groups on Facebook? Here's one, Carly, if you got the, this one is called Ben Lid stands. What they have in common as friends is putting trash cans, standing on their lids, and sharing pictures. You too, you can share anything. Yeah, you guys join that after church. They probably have membership requirements, and some of you wouldn't get in. <laughs> I'm gonna share. So, Robert, I'm gonna, I went to dinner with him. I told him I'd share this tonight. Robert and I are friends, have been for a good while. We met when our two Otis, who were up here on the stage tonight and graduating, getting ready to head off to college, we met when they were both in the third grade. And they were on the same soccer team. We had never met prior to that. And so they're on the same soccer team. We're like, oh, you too? You have to be here on Wednesday night and Saturday too? You too. And then we start talking a little bit. And actually, my kids were switching schools and they were already at that school. And we're like, oh, you too? Your kids are at SFCA? Oh, oh, you're a Christian? You too? And then we had dinner and we talked about our Christian background. And then we also have younger kids that happen to be in the exact same grade. And we're like, oh, you too? And so there was this natural common camaraderie that brought us together. There was nothing forced with the relationship, we simply discovered a common interest which made that friendship naturally sweet and not artificial. And so Lewis says again, he says, this is why those, and don't take offense here, this is why those pathetic people who simply want friends can never make any. The very condition for having friends is that you would want something else besides friends. If someone asks you, do you see the same truth, and your honest answer is, I really don't care about that, I just want to be friends, then no friendship can arise. There would be nothing for the friendship to be about. Those who have nothing can share nothing. Those who are going nowhere can have no fellow travelers. And so my point of this is discovery is kind of that foundation to friendship. It has to begin with that common discovery of interest. But for true, biblical, life-giving friendship, that foundation can't stop there. It then must be developed and built upon. And so Proverbs gives a lot of wisdom for this developing. Proverbs 17, 17 says, a friend loves at all times. We've read that one already. And loving at all times as a friend doesn't mean you have to spend every waking hour. And this is why we know this, Proverbs 25, 17. It says, seldom set foot in your neighbor's house too much of you and they will hate you. <laughs> the Bible says that. Other relationships are spouses our families, our work relationships, those are important. And so within a friendship, we need to provide space for those other loving relationships. But it does say a friend loves at all times. So what does the Bible mean? It's this idea of consistency. These kids back here, I know in their schools, they have an easier time making friends. Why? Why do kids have an easier time making friends? There's probably a lot of reasons, but in part, it's because they have to spend consistent time together. And so they're there on good days and bad days and ordinary days, and regardless of how that day went, they have to see that person again tomorrow consistently. 
And so there's a consistency to their friendships. But we live in a mobile culture. That means our consistency changes very often. And so those high school friends that Karen's saying, that's what friends are for, we'd be with them forever. Four years later, I married my high school sweetheart, Karen, and we only had one of those friends. I only had one friend on my side in the wedding. I think you, you had one, right? One on her side. So out of all those friends, the hundred and some in our high school graduating class, only two were in our wedding and only a handful were actually invited to the wedding. We lost a lot of those friends. So does that make me a bad friend? Because I dumped those friends that I spent 12 years, 13 years in some cases, building relationships with. And then I go to college, I make new friends. My groomsmen at my wedding were mostly my fraternity brothers. They probably have felt closest to me of any friends I've ever had because we spent four years living in the same house, doing the same thing, a lot of you two things. They were really, truly like blood brothers. And they were in my wedding, but today we've all gone our separate ways. We haven't had any fallout, any blowouts, but the consistency is gone. One of the difficult things in starting a church that, that really was for me is that I spent 10 years in the church I was in before I came here. And I had some really deep relationships in that church, really tight friendships, but most of those friendships have faded over the last five years. And I can't blame distance because we're still here in the same town. Why has that happened? It's because I don't have the consistency with those people. We don't gather anymore on Sunday mornings together. We don't gather anymore on Wednesday nights together. We don't go on mission trips together. We don't practice for Christmas concerts together. We don't serve at homeless dinners together. I don't dislike them. If they needed me, I would certainly show up. But the friendships have faded because the consistency has changed. Same applies when people leave refuge. I've seen a post going around that, you know, just because I left your church, we're not enemies. And that's, that's true. But our you 2 thing that brought us together, that's changed. And so there's no longer consistency. And so when we're not doing all of those things together, it's tough to maintain that friendship. And so for a friendship, we need that foundation. We need the you 2 We need something to build upon. We need consistency. We need time to balance out the sweet and the salty, the five-to-one ratio of good and bad, positive and negative. And then once we get through that part then, then we have to have the real work begin, and that's emotional connectedness. Proverbs 27, 14 says, If anyone loudly blesses their friend early in the morning, it will be taken as a curse. It's always cracked me up. I always laugh when I read that one too. And I think it's meant to be funny perhaps, but that's not emotional connectedness. That's, I don't know you well enough to know that you need three cups of coffee before I come screaming at you in the morning all cheerful. That's not emotional connectedness. We've all had that friend, right? You, you tell them stuff, you share things with them, but you can tell they're not listening and they really just want to tell you whatever it is they want to tell you about themselves. There's no emotional connection. Proverbs 25, 20 says, Singing cheerful songs to a person with a heavy heart is like taking someone's coat in cold weather or pouring vinegar on a wound. Friends saying, you know, I just lost my job. I have no money in my bank account. I'm, I'm scraping by. I don't know how I'm going to make ends meet. And you're like, that's, that's cool. I just got a raise in $200 for passing go. That's, that's pouring vinegar on a wound. If I think about social media, and again, I told you I'm not going to beat up too much on that low-hanging fruit, but that's the epitome of social media. Look how awesome my life is as we pour vinegar and salt on the wounds of friends. The level of emotional connectedness required for true friendships means then that you can't have a lot of those relationships. 
to have the knowledge of their burdens and struggles, and then to carry those burdens and struggles. You just can't carry a lot of those. It's emotionally exhausting to feel someone else's pain, to diminish your joy for their sake. That's why when a friend does that stuff for you, man, it's powerful. One of my favorite moments here, from the stage at least, at Refuge, was three weeks ago. I was preaching the gay sermon, and it was a difficult sermon for me, and I'm sharing my heart, and I'm knowing that our church would never be the same after I preached that. I knew I was losing friends who would hear it that night or would hear it later, and as I'm really just kind of struggling and laboring through it, Robert, my friend, yells out, we love you, Brian. Robert knows me. We've got that emotional connectedness. He knew I was struggling He knows I'm a people pleaser and hate it when people are mad at me. He knew how hard that moment was for me. And so he's so emotionally connected that he knew what I needed in that moment. And somebody else immediately yelled out, screw the haters. (laughs) Cody, I think that was you and I think we'll be friends as well. (laughs) We'll go with that. (laughs) Proverbs 27, 17 I don't know why all men's group think they own this and not women as well. As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. It's for men, that's for women, that's for all of us. And what that means is friendship must be bi-directional. It can't be one way or the other. And so for one friend then, to be emotionally connected, willing to be there for you, that means on the other hand of that bi-direction, you have to be vulnerable And let them in. And so for somebody to be there for you over here, iron sharpens iron, you have to be vulnerable. That means most of us, again, don't need more friends. We actually need to reduce our friend circle and let those who are around us in. So we need more honesty. We need more transparency. We need to let them see us. And I want to say this is more than just bringing the junk and the skeletons in your closet. Vulnerability, it can be sharing, yes, your struggles, but also being vulnerable with what's going well. I'm going to say this, and you might disagree, but you can brag to a close friend at the appropriate time. I think that's completely okay, because who else can you tell what great things are going on in your life? You can share your dreams. You can share your hopes. That's okay. You can express how you really feel about things in a true friendship. That's okay. And so let's go back to our verse, 27, verse 9. Oil and perfume make the heart glad, so we need to have positivity in the friendship. The sweetness of a friend, we need to discover the YouTube moment so that we have a foundation. And then it writes, comes from his earnest counsel. In the Bible, we see the word in the Old Testament, earnest. It means that something comes from the heart. It's earnest. It comes from the heart. Counsel in Scripture isn't exactly what we think of it necessarily today. Counsel is actually usually most closely translated as secrets. And so earnest counsel is actually secrets from the heart. And so there's two ways at looking at earnest counsel. One is to tell someone a secret, to confide in them, to be open, and to be vulnerable. The other side of this, though, is being able to be vulnerable enough to express hard things to a friend that they need to hear. Uh, Proverbs 27, 5 through 6 says, An open rebuke is better than hidden love. Wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy, and just a lot of metaphors going on there. And so if you're afraid to say what needs to be said to a friend, you're not a friend. If you say what needs to be said out of anything but love and concern, you're also not a friend. 
because of the sermon a few weeks ago, I've got a lot of those open rebukes lately. And some uh, say one thing uh, uh, controversial, and it's amazing how quickly your friend list grows that are deep friends with you. I didn't know I had so many of these deep friends to be that vulnerable with me. But most of these people that want to rebuke me haven't earned that right. I've got a lot of sins, and I've got a lot of struggles in my life that they need to speak into, but where have they been to speak into those? Where have they been to celebrate the good? What bi-directional iron sharpening iron have they been a part of? And so we need to not separate this rebuke from the greater friendship over here. Proverbs 29.5 says, To flatter friends is to lay a trap for their feet. To flatter a friend is to lay a trap for their feet. So you say to a friend, yes. Buy that Dogecoin. I'm sure you've thought it through. I'm sure it's a great idea to risk your kid's college fund on it. You've got great financial goals. It'd be bad advice. And if you just let them do that because you want to flatter the friend, you're laying a trap for their feet. Not only have you not discouraged that bad decision, you're a friend who they respect, who they assume loves them, and now you've helped set the trap because you've encouraged them to do the bad behavior. This would explain why a lot of people with power and money who really often have very few or no deep, close friends then make a lot of bad decisions. They have no friends, only consumers looking to use their friendship. Iron sharpening iron. If all you give me is advice in a friendship, then I don't have a friend, I have a therapist. If all you do is share your feelings with me, then I've become your therapist and not your friend, and I'm certainly not qualified to be your therapist. And so there's one final building block from Proverbs that I want to pull out, and that's toxic friendships. Chapter 16, verse 28 says, A troublemaker plants seeds of strife. Gossip separates the best friends, best of friends. Violent people mislead their companions, leading them down a harmful path. With narrowed eyes, people plot evil. With a smirk, they plan their mischief. Friendship with a fellow image bearer of God is meant to be a blessing. We learn that in Scripture. But life is hard, and so God knew that we needed friends, but sin has invaded every component of life, including our friendships. And so I'm sure some have had that friend who becomes obsessed with you being available to them 24-7 and just pouty every time that you're not available at their beck and call. A friend of the opposite sex becomes a toxic friend because they become a replacement for your spouse or a friend uses your vulnerability that you so openly shared to them and then they use that against you or they take that vulnerability and they gossip and tell others about it when it was meant to be in private. Those are toxic friendships. In some toxic friendships, when there's extremely abusive people, we need to treat it like a severe peanut allergy. We need to just sever all ties and not come in contact with it ever again. Reality is not all friendships can uh, work through and survive the consequences of sin. And some other friendships, it can be, you know, you have that really good block of cheese that you spent a lot of money on, and it gets that mold on the side of it. It's still good. You just got to cut off the mold. And so some of our friendships, they still can be good friendships. There just might be some mold in that friendship that we need to cut off, and we can still salvage that relationship. And so some examples, some longtime friends have had issues with gossip, and so maybe you have to cut them off in the transparency department, and you're not as honest with them about their friendship, so it changes the dynamic of that friendship. 
I know I've had to unfollow a few of you on Facebook. It's not that I don't love you. It's not that we're not friends, but some of the stuff you post triggers me, and so I've cut off that piece of the mold on the cheese so we can still be friends. I could end the sermon right there. When you got nine minutes left, you'd probably be happy. You'd have a decent TED Talk and a little Bible even thrown in for good measure. It'd be how to be a great friend. Bring more positivity than negativity to the friendship. That friendships must be discovered, not forced. That friendships need to be consistent. That you don't need to let a friend down in a time of need. That you should be vulnerable. That you always let your friends in. And then it's okay to cut off a toxic relationship. And so it would be follow these six easy steps and you too can have beautiful, lasting, lifetime friendships. But we've all lived life and we know how hard friendships are. That's why we had this question in the first place tonight. And so we can easily hear this message and two things happen. One, my friends suck. I need better friends who are more like that. Or two, I suck. I need to be a better friend like that. Both of those can be deflating and both of those can leave us still feeling alone. I'm never going to find a good friend. I'm never going to be a good friend because I'm not capable of doing that. The night before Jesus died, he was desperately trying to get across to his disciples the meaning of what he was about to do. And so in John 15, John writes, this is Jesus speaking, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Verse 15, he says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. It's a powerful line. I don't know if we understand the power of that line when we read it in Scripture. Jesus, God in the flesh, says, I have called you my friends. It's a history-changing moment. If we go back to Genesis 3, God is walking in the garden with Adam and Eve. And in the Bible, in the Hebrew, walking is a metaphor for friendship. Walking together, that's friendship. And so God made us for friendship. He made us for friendship with him first, and he made us for friendship with each other. But we know the story. We turned from him. We betrayed our friend. And so what should our friend God have done? He should have treated us like a severe peanut allergy and cut us off for good. But instead, God cuts off his son. His friend from eternity past, he cuts him off in our place. Proverb, again, the one I read, said there is one friend, one friend who sticks closer than a brother. That one friend, a friend who was willing to go through hell so that you wouldn't be ruined, as the proverb says. That ultimate friend, a friend who loves at all times, a friend whose love is absolutely deliberate and purposeful, a friend whose oil and perfume certainly makes our hearts glad. A friend who is emotionally connected to our lives so much so that he knows every head on your head. And is that friend vulnerable? You bet. Look at him on the cross. When we're not vulnerable, we're tight like this. When we're vulnerable, we're wide open like this. And so there's that vulnerable friend, bleeding, dying, looking down at the friends who have betrayed him, both there in person and the disciples and both us as he looks out into the future forsaking him, denying him, and the greatest act of friendship in the history of the universe, our friend stays. And so just tonight, as we close, allow that to liberate you. 
Allow that knowledge to allow you to be the friend that you need to be because that's where friendship starts, being the friend you need to be. Not being afraid to be let down by friends because all of your friendship eggs aren't in the human basket because you know you have a friend in Jesus. And willing to be vulnerable bi-directionally because of the grace and the truth given to you by that friend. And on those days when you feel alone and you're going to still have those days, then look to the cross knowing that that friend has seen, as we said tonight, all your failures and flaws and he still calls you friend. Let's pray. Father God, thank you again for this time tonight. God, I pray over the friendships in this room, whether those friendships be with each other, whether those friendships are people outside of this room. God, make us a church that takes this wisdom to heart, that we value the gift of friendship. We value it because it helps us through life. We value it because we can help others through life. And so God, I just pray this week and this month as we move forward, keep these words on our heart. As we think of our friends, help us build relationships. If we need to discover new ones, help us build those. God, we thank you for your grace and your truth, and most of all tonight, your friendship. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, I want to end tonight just with sharing maybe something new we're going to try here as a church to maybe help develop and nurture and build some friendships. Because I think before we go out there and try to help a hurting and broken world, we're going to need to change the world inside of here through love and practicing friendships within our church. Again, let me reference C.S. Lewis one more time. He says, in friendship, we think we have chosen our peers. In reality, a few years difference in the dates of our birth, a few more miles between certain houses, the choice of one university instead of another, the accident of a topic being raised or not raised at a first meeting, any of these circumstances or any of these changes might have kept us apart. But for a Christian, there are, strictly speaking, no chances. A secret master of ceremonies has been at work. Christ, who said to the disciples, ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, can truly say to every group of Christian friends, ye have not chosen one another, but I have chosen you for one another. The friendship is not a reward for our discriminating and good taste and finding one another out. It is the instrument by which God reveals to each of us the beauties of others. This is why you need to read C.S. Lewis, right? That's powerful. Those are profound words. And I do think, I don't think it's an accident that any person who's ever stepped through the doors of this church have came into this room and came into this community. And so I think the small groups of misfits has been brought together to be friends. We're brought together to be friends so that we can nurture and build upon the U2 that we have, which is this church as our U2. To build those friendships, we need consistency. And yes, coming in here once a week, that's some of the consistency, but that won't do it. Or getting together once a month, if that's the only time you come, that's probably not going to do it either. Um, we need that consistency. And so we want to provide that as a church. And I've been weak in that area and kind of building and providing that. And so here's the idea, and here's where we're going with this. Starting in August, third Saturday of every month, I don't know what we're going to call it, community groups or small groups, you know, life groups, whatever word you want to use for that. We're going to start a group every Saturday of every month, the third Saturday of the month. And instead of meeting in this place, 
We're going to break each of our members out into smaller groups meeting individually so that they can build and nurture relationships, so they can discover you two moments with each other and then begin to have some iron, sharpening iron, some vulnerability, and hopefully that grows from there. And so it's going to be once a month. Not going to be church here, and we're going to split it out. We're going to help the U2 process along in that discovery by putting folks in groups that already have some U2 connectedness there. And so one group is going to be a group of people with young kids. They're going to meet in this church so they don't tear up somebody's home, okay? <laughs> and, and that's going to be a group here. And then we're going to have a group of empty nesters over here and a group over here of people with college-age kids or older kids and a group of singles and, and individuals that are married and don't have kids yet over here. And so we're going to divide out just by life stages of life. And again, starting the third Saturday of August, instead of meeting in this corporate-type setting like this, we're going to meet together in life stages and hopefully build, develop, and nurture some friendships. Because as our friendships build and grow, so will this church, not by numbers necessarily, but by spiritual growth, and so will our service and ability to go out and serve our community and our workplace and out there uh, in the daily world. And so I'm excited as we start this in August to watch those friendships grow. If you want to know uh, what community group that you're a part of, I'm going to put that on Facebook tomorrow or whenever I get a chance to sit down at a computer. We've kind of gone through and did a preliminary dividing up of people, so you don't get to pick yourself. We kind of picked for you and put you in groups. Number one, and then number two, um, if you're not a member of this church, but you've been coming for a long time, we need to get you uh, somehow knowing that you want to be a part of this. And so our website, I, now I forget the address, but if you go to our website, there's a link that says membership. Fill it out. I'll get an email, and then I can get you added onto this list. Or if it's been a familiar face that I know I've seen a lot in time, we've tried to put everybody that we could think of on that list. This is not mandatory friendships. These are not fake friendships. But I think it's a way for us to nurture, develop, and grow friendships within the church. Okay, next week, another difficult question. This one is a difficult one, and it's going to be a hard one. Why were we born to suffer pain and loss? We have all asked that question at some point in time if we have any maturity of all in our faith. And so that's where we're headed next week. God bless, love you all, and I do hope to see you here next week for that.